Hi, this is Taylor Stuber. And this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists, faculty members, and your hosts for The Postgraduate Pharmacist. Welcome back, Sasso Squad, and any new listeners to another episode of The Postgraduate Pharmacist, where we're all about helping you separate and stand out as you prepare for postgraduate training. From current events to expert advice, we bring you up-to-date content every other Monday related to postgraduate training. Join the Sasso Squad today and follow us on Twitter at PG Pharmacist or Instagram and LinkedIn at The Postgraduate Pharmacist. And check out our website at postgraduatepharmacist.com where you can get all of our latest content. If you love the show and want to support what we're doing, check out ways to spread the word on our website or buy us a cup of coffee. We could always use the caffeine. Welcome back to another episode, Sasso Squad. We're excited that you're joining us today. Today, we are going to talk all about different types of rotations. And what I mean by that is rotations that are required versus rotations that are listed as elective. And you may hear them as learning experiences because that's what the ASHP tags their rotation. So your APP rotation is essentially the same thing during residency is a learning experience. And so we'll talk about those and then a little bit beyond that as well. We'll dive into some longitudinal experiences and what that means and what that might entail. So buckle up because it's going to be a fun ride today. Mm -hmm. You will be an expert on all things learning experiences by the end of this show. So I want to throw out the first discussion, just generally talking about required versus elective learning experiences. What are they and are there any requirements by ASHP for these things. All right, so I can start us off by just discussing some basics about required versus elective. Obviously, that might seem pretty intuitive. So required are experiences which the program requires you to do. You might have a little bit of choice in terms of what type of required rotation you complete, but it generally will fall under a same or similar category. Whereas electives, like the name would suggest, are experiences where you have more flexibility in what the experience is. So generally, the required experiences are going to be some of more core type of rotations or experiences, maybe like a medicine or a general ICU, whereas elective can kind of branch out from there and be more specialized. What do you think, Sean? No, I like that. I like that broad definition. When you look at ASHP's guidance document for PGY-1 programs, basically what they're accrediting these programs to, your definition is better than what they give because they don't even specify what exactly needs to be a required versus an elective rotation. All they care about is essentially the how they're structured, how they're evaluated, not necessarily the content, especially because PGY-1 programs are so broad in terms of where their practice is what sort of specialties are available. It's hard for ASHP to say you have to have, like you were saying, medicine in general ICU. It's hard for them to say like that has to be a core rotation because one site might not have that. Another site might specialize only in ICU. So to them, there's no really distinction. I agree with you on your explanation. When I hear core, I hear medicine, Sometimes a staffing. One thing you will get for sure is an orientation. That's the only thing ASHP requires. 
you have to have a learning experience that's orientation. It doesn't say how long it has to be, it just has to be a, enough time. But your first learning experience will always probably be orientation. So essentially, SHP is more focused on what you're doing and the outcomes of that versus what the actual experiences are besides orientation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And the qualifications of the preceptors who are precepting you during these experiences and their ability to evaluate you and give you that formative feedback, give you that summative feedback. And so it's, it's more just structured. Now, they will give your clinic or your site or your program has all these really unique rotations and you're not tapping into them, they'll give you suggestions and say, consider doing a learning experience in this area, this area, especially if you have a pharmacist who's specialized in practicing in that area, they're going to offer up recommendations for those things. So you mentioned a couple clinical rotations. Now, does a learning experience have to be some sort of practice-based experience? Does it have to be in like a medicine or cardiology or nephrology or some sort of space? Not necessarily. So some learning experiences, you'll see them list different types of activities almost, right? Yeah. You're talking about like med safety. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. So you're thinking like med safety, research, those types of things that maybe aren't necessarily what you think of as a practice setting. Maybe they might even list those as longitudinal. So I think that's something that you're going to have to dig into a little bit more. Some might have a focused research month. So those are all things that you're going to be looking at, whether or not they're required, whether or not they're longitudinal. So on that point, longitudinal, what does that mean? So longitudinal, there's a specific time frame. I think if it's greater than 12 weeks, it has to be a longitudinal. ASHP is, and, and we're probably going to see this a little more when they release the new standards, they have a lot of specific definitions for what's considered a learning experience, what's considered an extended learning experience, and then what's considered a longitudinal learning experience. And it's all about like how many weeks they are. So typically like five to eight weeks is more of an extended experience. And when you get past eight weeks or past three months, it's considered a longitudinal experience. And the only difference there is that you're required or your preceptors are going to be required to give you feedback quarterly on any longitudinal experience. So they, you, you won't ever have an experience that's more than three months where you're going to wait until the very, very end to get that feedback and say, you know what? You didn't actually do as well as we you're, thought you were. You remember last fall, last <laughs> summer? Uh, yeah, you, you've just been going you, downhill after yeah. that. <laughs> and we just didn't want to tell you. We, we want to see if you would correct it on your own, right? Right. Yeah. So you'll get that quarterly feedback compared to a required or an elective rotation. Let's say, like, what do you think? Typically, they're like four to five weeks, right? Yeah, I'd say it kind of depends on the institution. They, you know, they have them a set number of weeks. I think mine did calendar months initially. Some will align theirs to correspond with the rotation students that are there on APPEs. So there's a lot of flexibility in for each program on how they offer those. You'll just have to ask or maybe it'll be on their website. Yeah. And so those shorter ones, typically they're going to tell you how you're doing each week, but they don't have to do any sort of midpoint evaluation. That's not a requirement compared to these longitudinal ones. And so we've kind of hit on required, elective, longitudinal what types of experiences would you expect, I guess, for a general PGY-1 pharmacy practice residency to kind of fit under those umbrellas? Obviously, it's going to be different and there's flexibility, but what are the majority of programs going to be 
potentially offering under those? I really like that question. You jump in and let me know your thoughts as I go. So definitely a medicine, which is like your internal medicine services, could be family medicine, but you're like rounding with just the general practitioners. Usually one or two rotations dedicated to that. Good chance that you're going to get a cardiology or an intensive care, like emergency department or ICU care. I would say infectious disease is a popular one. Most hospitals have that. That's sometimes a core required experience. And then pediatrics, I think, is another one that you see most often. Yeah, I'd say those are good, solid examples. And depending on the institution that you're at, if they have a lot of ambulatory care Mm -hmm. associated with it, like that might be a required experience as well. Sometimes though, I think that can be done longitudinally. Yeah, Um, I agree. So we were talking about required experiences. Longitudinal, I think, AmCare lends itself, just the nature of ambulatory care lends itself to a longitudinal type experience. So my example that I had is, you know, I did a longitudinal transitions of care clinic for six months. I also did a Coumadin clinic for six months that I went in one afternoon a week on top of my core experiences. Yeah. And we do, we do one here. I just started with the PGY1s. They come into our clinic two times a month every other week for a half day and they do consultative services. So they'll like do education, they'll answer drug information questions and kind of just be a resource for the the outpatient physicians. And then other required ones obviously are orientation like you mentioned. Um, gotta have orientation. Gotta have orientation. <laughs> um, but, but electives... Then we kind of just open up the door to whatever else is out there. So what kinds, your of, what, kind, what kinds of electives could be out there? I think it's what you said. You phrase that as what kind of electives aren't out there. And it's like off the top of my head, I can't, I can't really think of anything. But I'll name like my favorite ones. Like things I when I'm evaluating programs, these are the ones that I like to see as electives because it just shows me there's a ton of flexibility with your schedule when you get there and you're going to have a really good experience because you're going to get to tailor it to your desires. And that's going to be like transplant. I love seeing transplant on there because that's like a cool one. It means the hospital does a lot of, they've got a pharmacist practicing in transplant. They got some of that stuff. I love seeing like not just pediatrics, but like NICU, like a specialty NICU rotation. That means the hospital is really advanced in their neonatal practices and you can kind of dive in there. I love it when they have administration on there because then you can satisfy that. What's it like to run and be a department head of a pharmacy and and see the kind of back end? I know it's like one of my favorite rotations because I got to see them design an outpatient mail order pharmacy service. And it's just really cool to be part of that. What about you? What are your favorites? I mean, thinking back to my residency, I loved my liver transplant. Yeah. Elective. That was like one of my favorite clinical rotations. Just and we had administration too. I mean, we had, you kind of thought of it, we had it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think also you can kind of work with the programs too, because sometimes, you know, there might be things that are listed as core rotations or listed as elective rotations that you could satisfy multiple requirements. So if you have to do an oncology and you have to do a pediatric um, rotation, and those are both required, maybe you can do a pediatric hemonc rotation love it which would be uh scary but uh, for me (laughs) at least but but maybe it would satisfy that requirement so i I think again just those are good questions to 
once you're evaluating programs to think about and ask the program directors. Well, you brought up a good point too, that you can turn, you can turn any required learning experience into an elective and uh, ASHP just requires you, they document why it's different and what the goals are as the elective experience. And they can do that for me. They, we, we didn't have this listed at mine as a nephrology and elective. Well, it, nephrology was an elective, but I took it again as a secondary elective and they just increased my autonomy and everything when I was on it for the second time. So I really enjoyed that. But before we get into the really juicy content and the, and the real good tips that we're going to give you here on what to ask, what you shouldn't ask programs, I've got a bit of a challenge for our trivia segment today. It's just you and me, so I can really pick on you. Let's do it. We've had a lot of back and forth here for a while about Top Gun. So I, I kind of wanted to just settle the Top Gun debate today. And I've got a little bit of an incentive to do that. So I will out of the kindness of my own heart and just my generosity, if you can get all my Top Gun questions here right, I'm going to get you your very own postgraduate pharmacist hoodie. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say that, but I'll probably miss the first question. If you get at least four right, there's six of them. If you get four right, I'll give you a t-shirt. If, okay. you, if you only get three or less, I'll send you a mug just because I like you. <laughs> I like I like those mugs. All right, six questions. They get harder each time. So if you miss the first one, we're just, we might just have to stop the trivia game right there. Tom Cruise. Can you see the questions? No, I just <laughs> I'm just guessing who's. Well, you got the first. Like you one said right. it was easy. <laughs> was the first. I think that's I think that counts as two since I got it without without even knowing the question. the question. That's some that's a that's like psychic right there. So it was who played Maverick in the film. You are correct. It is, unless you want to change, do you want to change your answer? I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay with that. Stay with Tom Cruise. Okay, Tom Cruise. Number two. What was the code name for Tom Cruise's rival throughout the film? Mm. And we're talking about the original Top Gun. This is all original Top Gun. Do I get? Do I get multiple choice? I haven't seen Top Gun in a good 20, 15 years. Oh, you haven't seen? You just saw the new one, though. No, I haven't. I haven't seen the new one yet. You haven't seen the new one? No. I'm glad this is original Top Gun trivia. All right, so here's your options. You have the Jester, Stinger, Goose, or Iceman. Oh, it's Iceman. <laughs> okay. All right, two for two. What was the model of the fighter jet in the film that they flew? Was it the MiG-28, the Su-57, SR-72, F-14, or F-35? Oh, SR, whatever. 72? Yeah. So that's actually the airplane that was featured at the beginning of the new Top Gun Maverick movie. They actually flew the F-14 in the movie and then in the new movie they fly the f-35 okay okay the mig-28 is what they were going against in the first film and then yeah. the su-57 is the new state-of-the-art one that they go against in the new film that's that's not really spoilers alert you knew there were gonna be planes in there that's okay hey you're still two for three you you lost the hoodie but you can still get the t-shirt can i have a mug <laughs> instead of a t-shirt <laughs> If you you can choose any, it's one of those okay. things where you okay. can choose like the shirt or anything below the shirt. <laughs> it's like I'm at an arcade again, and I have yeah. to get a you number. Get to go to the, the number of tickets. tickets. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, what was the code name of the commanding officer in Top Gun? Oh, I just only remember Maverick and Goose. Like that's all. That's I okay. I know it's not either of them. So I feel like if I hear it, I might get it. 
Is it Slider, Cobra, Viper, or is it Scorpion? One more time. <laughs> I'll say... I got to remember I, some of my distractors. Viper. Listen, I'll say Viper. You'll say Viper? Yeah. You are absolutely correct. Viper was the name of the commanding officer. It was Mike Viper Metcalf. So, true or false, someone died during the making of the film. True or false, someone died during the making of the original Top Gun. False. False? It's actually true. Art Scholl, stuntman, died in a flat spin in his camera plane, never found the body, never found the plane. Film is dedicated after him. Wow. Mm -hmm. He has some famous last words, too. Is that the next question? No, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> no, he just has famous last words. His famous last words were, um, I have a problem, I have a real problem. I don't know if they're famous, but those were his last words. Uh, the last question, and you know, you're three for... So I'm on the three for right five. Here. So this is it. This is the this is the big one, and it's multiple choice. Which character was the only one who didn't vomit in an airplane? Was it Goose, Maverick, Iceman, or Slider? Goose. You're correct. It is Goose. Goose, or the actor's name is Anthony Edwards, was the only one to not throw up in one of the fighter jets during the filming of the movie. All right, congratulations, Taylor. You have won yourself the selection of a T-shirt or cost equivalent on our merchandise store. <laughs> I love it. Can I save it and then trade up once I get the next to the to the hoodie? Can I trade up to the hoodie <laughs> next time I come back and we do this? We do the Top Gun, the new Top Gun trivia. <laughs> We're gonna start doing some um, like all or nothing bets. Yeah. Oh, I like a mug. I like a good coffee mug. I'll send you a mug. All right, so now for the juicy tips to leave all our Sasso squad with today is what shouldn't you ask RPDs and what should you ask RPDs and residents at any time you're interacting with them? So let's start with the shouldn't. What are some of the things we shouldn't ask RPDs or residents about required or elective? Well, I think the obvious answer is anything that's on their website. So... <laughs> A lot of them will tell you what we'll have available, what rotations are available. So don't ask them, what rotations do you offer? Which yeah. ones are required and elective? Because that, a lot of times that's in there. Yeah. And we, and you know, we joke about that, but it's like, that's so true. Students will come up all the time and they'll blank, they'll pause, they'll deer in the headlights and they'll just say, so what, uh, w what rotations do you have there? If you're the resident, you do that. So, all right. <laughs> All right, let me let me go. Here's me here's them. our paper that you can get at our booth and <laughs> has all that information. Uh, another one I'd say you probably shouldn't ask if they have electives listed. It's probably not a good idea to say, "Hey, do we get to select our elective rotations?" Uh, because I think the the general sense is if there's electives there and they list electives that you're going to be actually getting to select those electives. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed to get them, which can like segue us into what should you ask. But if they do list them, you can ask, you know, what are the chances of getting your top choice for electives? Yeah. And we let's segue into that. What what kind of things should you ask? And these are like interactions that, you know, either at the rotation site itself at different showcases and things. So you mentioned a good one there. Like what are my chances of like, is this a popular elective? Do all residents get to rotate through it? Mm -hmm. Things like that. But also, you know, ask about if you do select an elective and maybe your interests change during your rotation year, is there flexibility in my ability to 
change electives throughout the year. So if I, maybe I started out, I was interested in oncology, but then I, you know, I want to, I decide I want to do infectious diseases. Can I change my oncology elective to another infectious disease? Maybe it's a rounding with the infectious disease team or, or antimicrobial stewardship or, or something like that. Especially when you probably had, I mean, you might've looked into PGY2 programs if you're interested in doing PGY2, but you may not have done a serious evaluation of those programs, but you're going to be doing that leading up to December of your PGY one year. If you are interested in PGY twos, or even just, you know, you're going to, no matter what, you're going to be looking at future careers. You're going to, you have to find a job in a year. So you're going to be looking at those things. And a lot of times you discover that you're interested in a certain type of practice or you're interested in a certain type of specialty. And so you do halfway through say, man, I want to, is it possible to switch and take this instead? Or, you know what, I'm, I, I realized after my first medicine, I'm not really interested in critical care anymore because uh, it's just not my thing. So could I switch to more outpatient or ambulatory care or something like that? So yeah, asking, are they, is it flexible? Are you able to switch if your interests change? I love that question. I also like the question and you kind of alluded to it earlier, but are certain electives, am I able to repeat them? Is that opportunity available? So maybe, you know, your internal medicine rotation, you know, you can complete for a second time, but also ask in that same light, if they do say that that is possible, ask about what is different about it the second time around. Yeah. How do you modify it to challenge me having done one already in that area? I think a good question is asking the residents, well, what electives have you taken or are you planning on taking and why? Kind of get their input on what's gone on so far. It, if it's early in the, the fall, you know, you're at a showcase, maybe a regional showcase, they might not have had their first elective rotation yet. It just depends on their schedule, but kind of find out from them what they've heard. And yeah. well, you know, what, what have you heard are the best electives to take at your yeah, get the inside scoop from them for sure. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe there are some electives, you know, you're kind of debating on whether or not you should do one or the other. You know, maybe ask about the group and the providers that you're working with on one rotation might be a lot more accepting and willing to work with you versus maybe another type of rotation where it might not be that same way. So even at institutions where if they generally ask about pharmacy being accepted and if they're valued members of the healthcare team, maybe even the individual service or location would be important as well. For some of the longitudinal learning experiences that are not clinical focused, maybe like your projects, MUEs, safe med safety, stuff like that. A question you could possibly ask is, uh, how is my preceptor selected for these? Is it is it something I have input in? Is it just selected based on the project I choose? How is that mentor-mentee relationship kind of built? I think also with longitudinal, those can look a lot different depending on where you're at and how often you are required to either be at that site or complete those projects. So what time is given to you to maybe it's more of the med safety type of um, rotation versus know, going to a uh, Coumadin clinic, how often are you going there over what period of time and things like that. So I think those just getting, getting the details is, is always helpful. So you can kind of envision what your day might look like. It's kind of related, but I always ask if there's emergencies in the hospital or there's staffing emergencies or things like that, do residents get pulled from their required or their elective learning experiences in order to fill those needs? You know, how is their time protected during these 
that's a wonderful thing to end on. So any additional advice you think, Sean, or I think we've we've covered most of it. Yeah, I just have one more tidbit, and that's when you're looking at these required and electives and longitudinals, just look out for programs that list a lot of these staples like their med safety or research project or MUE as in place of some of these other required rotations we mentioned today, like some of the cardiology infectious disease ones, like look for programs that mainly just build their required off of these other ones. It might mean the program doesn't have as much flexibility or maybe not as many opportunities available for you. All right. I think that's a, that kind of covers it, Sean. So I appreciate sharing all the wisdom you have as a program director and past resident. And thank you to our Sasso squad for tuning in and listening all about elective versus required experiences. Until next time. If you want to continue to hear up-to-date topics from us and our guests, please like and subscribe. You can listen to us for free on your favorite podcast app and check out our show notes below to see links and highlights of the episode. And remember, you can separate and stand out.